Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the spookiest episode of Movie Fellas to Date. Woo. Guys, Movie Fellas is a podcast where our few millennials with little to no knowledge talk about film, both classic and current, mostly current, but today, classic and current. My name is Matt, and I am your host. With me this week is Hayes the David Tool. What's up, everybody? Adam Norris. Yeah. And our very special guest from the Cinematary Podcast, Andrew Swafford. Hello. What's going on, guys? Hey, and also in from the Lost episode. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> right. in addition to the fabled Lost episode of Movie Fellas, um, <laughs> in which we talked about Joan of Arc, uh, and I was never told to record my own audio. So. <laughs> this week, guys, we told him though i told him and it was my fault that was a really cool episode i really enjoyed that so i'm sad that uh it was that got long. lost but guys it was long too like yeah, two hours it was like two hours yeah well but, luckily we'll just include that with the uh blu-ray advanced copy that's right <laughs> right okay. in my of my twitter two. joke after the recording was that 80 years from now someone will find the recording of that podcast in a closet in an insane asylum uh, as the joan of arc which uh, is where celluloid print was found Right. Perfect. So hopefully like that'll it. happen. But uh, guys, we're we're excited to be back. Like we said uh, on our last podcast, we're going to be doing these once a month. And this episode is going to be airing tomorrow, which today is the 30th of October. <laughs> as everyone knows, not everyone probably, but everyone who probably listens to this knows tomorrow is Halloween. And that's the spookiest day of the year. So today we're doing the spookiest podcast of the year. Let's get into some news. All right, guys. Oh, gosh. This isn't very spooky news. Well, some of it might be. Um, guys, Thor Ragnarok is receiving critical acclaim. We'll see. Critics love it. Apparently, it's amazing. That what is, do you guys think about that? That's pretty spooky. After yeah, it's pretty, the, it's pretty after spooky. Yeah, pretty spooky, <laughs> considering every single time they release a Marvel film, it says it's the best, most well-rated yet. Okay, that's not true. That's, we, that seems kind of weird. See pretty spooky to one. me. Because honestly, the Dark World was an absolute dumpster fire. So it wasn't yeah. that bad. Yeah, it was. No question. I will say, as a complete outsider to the comic book movie world, and as someone who gets impatient with how much superhero movies are talked about on this podcast, sometimes I am actually <laughs> excited for <laughs> Thor Ragnarok. Um, oh, mostly wow, because a, of the the talent of Taika Waititi behind the camera. Yeah. Uh, yeah. very true. And space Jeff Goldblum and goth Kate Blanchett. I'm just <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> now he gets That's it. That's right. Andrew gets I it. I love I love the 80s. I love the 80s titles like how like how stylized it is and everything. Um I I, I kind of realized our dynamic that we're creating in this episode and that's me and Haste smack dab in the middle of the comic book universe. Adam is Adam is our breaching force cuz he still enjoys some comic book movies. And Very few. just on the outside, skeptical of all comic books. I movies, so. have not gone to see one in the theater since the first Avengers. Dude, wow, you're not missing out. You are not missing out. <laughs> hey, Adam, shut up, all right? <laughs> yeah, I, I've caught a couple of them on DVD uh, and have assured myself that I am not missing out. All right. But Dude, also, don't you love in the... Fun. I can't remember which Marvel movie it is, Matt. You can help me. Um, it's the one where the guy in the, with the powers has a problem and he has to go to a new place. And, That's uh, called the hero's arc. Okay? He makes some new friends. Right. Well, it's not my fault. Marvel is doing the most cookie cutter job with the hero's arc ever made. But yet they're still making right. millions well, of for, dollars. For it to be 
for it to be the hero's journey, there has to be some sort of cohesion to the narrative, which Marvel movies well, that doesn't movie. happen either. Right. So yes, they do. But here's the thing: we also have to acknowledge if the movie doesn't make him want to kill himself, Norse doesn't like it. That's, that's true. That's it's the not other problem. established. Okay, listen. <laughs> I love Xander Cage, and that made me want to kill myself. <laughs> oh, I can't even take this seriously. I right feel now. like we have uh, we have wandered pretty far from the original story here. Yes. This Anything is else not else not else not this is just and here think, we are. I think Taika Waititi, I, I am excited to see Taika Waititi. Because like Hayes said, I mean, I don't think it's dumpster fire. The second Thor movie wasn't great. It was, There wasn't anything special about it. So I'm excited to see that talent um, behind it. So we'll see. I'm seeing it Thursday. Um, I, I'm ex- expecting it to be great. All right, next piece of news. Hey, not comic book movie news. Wow. You ready? <gasps> also spooky. Lethal, <laughs> Lethal Weapon 5 is moving forward. Oh, Ooh, you found something <laughs> less interesting why? than comic book news. You found it. Why? <laughs> why? No. Okay, so here's the thing. No. Next How, news. Who's, who's going to be too Next old news, for everything Matt. at this point? Because they're both not young. Matt. <laughs> next news. They don't care. All right. Lethal Weapon 5. That's not news. All right. We'll move on to the next piece of news, which is comic book movie news. Um, Zachary Levi will be playing Shazam in the movie Shazam. Is this the is this the Shack? The original Shack movie? <laughs> no, that's that's because I knew I was Sorry. hoping someone would do that. Thank you, Andrew. Jeez. I would like. I would like my favorite Marvel Shazam. movie. Yeah, that would, that would be great. Probably Who could not. forget? Who, who's the popular basketball? Steph Curry. He could be in it. Ugh. Maybe. <laughs> um, what do you think about that, Hates? Because you're the only one who has any knowledge of that kind of stuff. Of what? Of comic book movies. Oh. I'm sure. I don't know who the guy playing him's going to be. Zachary Levi. I just said it. Uh, that That's not coming like to the top of my head of Chuck. what he looks like. <laughs> Chuck. Oh, nah. I don't care. Nah, okay. It's right. a DC well. movie. They're pretty subpar as is. Uh, okay. Wonder Woman. All right. Okay. Hear me out for one second. This is going to piss a lot of people off. Wonder Woman is good after the first view and no more. You didn't like it the second time you saw it? No, it just gets casually and casually more just subpar the more you watch it. Well, that is Mm. one more. That's one more view than the average Haste is about to join our side. This is good. He's starting to learn the truth. This is just in regards to DC movies because they all suck. Minus the uh, Dark Knight trilogy, which never gets old, ever. That's fair enough. you know. That's fair enough. DC, but all right. Well, we're we're pretty light on news because all of all of the news. I was looking through it. I was running through it, and obviously, there's been a lot of news since is it um, nothing the spooky? last time we recorded an episode. Um, there's uh, spooky news. Oh yeah, there is a little bit of spooky, um, but it's more comic book movie news. Uh, actually, it's graphic <laughs> hold on, novel. Hold on. Movie I want to guess. I want to guess. Okay, it's go ahead. Something Harvey Weinstein related. No, oh, God. <laughs> oh, bad gosh. taste. Too soon. Wah, wah. Too soon. Uh, he's a terrible person. We'll just We're gonna have to censor you, Haste. Oh, um, hold the phone. <laughs> Netflix is ending House of Cards after the whole Kevin Spacey thing this morning. They are. Yeah, uh, it's that supposed just to. I, I think I heard. 
I, I think I heard somewhere where they were they were planning on they had already signed the paperwork to end the series before, like a, a year before oh, this okay. whole thing yep. came out. Um, mm. But yeah, the Kevin Spacey thing is ridiculous and awful. And as of right now, there is no official statement from Netflix. That's kind of what people yeah. are pointing out is the, right. people are assuming because yeah. of it it's ending, but in reality, it's just kind of a weird coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's well, just it's weird that, that it ends now. it's weird that that like becomes a big story the day of, because I had I hadn't heard anything about right. House of Cards ending until right. literally right now. Right. Well, that's all sucks, and that I I haven't read much on that, so I don't want to say anything like I did about Jennifer Lawrence. That wasn't true apparently last time we recorded. <laughs> so yep. Um, um. So. Uh, the spooky comic book graphic novel movie news I have is that the Crow remake finally begins shooting in early 2018. Oh, no. And I actually have a question: uh, have, Who's all seen the Crow? I've seen it in this chat. I've not seen it. Okay, you have not seen it. Okay, I, I think it's actually something you'd legitimately enjoy. Um, it's the he, it was Bruce Lee's son, Brandon Brendan Lee. He died on set of that because right. someone replaced. There was a yeah. But anyway, the the original is great. I have not seen any of the others. I'll but only watch um, it if another death occurs in filming. Oh, oh goodness! That's, that's the only contingency. No. Yeah. Gosh, this is the spooky episode. We a, gotta get people killed, oh, yeah, man. That just seems masochistic. <laughs> it's the spooky Halloween episode. There's no death yet. All right, fair enough. Um, so. I hope it's good. I haven't seen any of the other ones, but who wants a bad movie? All right, next piece of news. I just figured this was interesting. The Wonder Woman is the top costume this year for Halloween. So I, that's I wish I could be surprised. Pretty cool, you know? Except for Haste, because he hates everything. Yeah. Haste, you're becoming more and more like Norris good. as these episodes. Embrace not, the dark I'm side. Not that full of Welcome. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. So let's just move into the main topic for this week. Um, We've been wanting to do a conjoined episode with Andrew for a while, we and had like we said, we we tried. <laughs> we got so we tried so hard and we got so far, but in the end, it didn't even matter Too soon. Um, because I forgot to tell him to yeah yeah rest in peace. Um, anyway, so uh, we are doing a spooky episode of Movie Fellows today, and we decided to do an episode with the uh, request of Andrew. On a set of horror, or on a set of horror movies, and we all decided on the Wicker Man. Now, Andrew, I'm going to go ahead and let you just kind of take it away. Yeah. Uh, from here, I don't remember exactly what your pitch was at the end of the last month's episode. You said something about how because you guys wanted to do an episode a month instead of an episode a week, uh, they would be maybe mm-hmm. more based around genres or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I I did the the natural thing, which was text you and say, hey. You want to do movies in specific genres? <laughs> October, horror movies. I like horror movies. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this thing. Um, so I gave you guys a couple of recommendations. And at this point, I don't honestly remember what all the recommendations were. But I the, can't remember them either. The, the one Wicker was Rosemary's Man. Baby. Yes, Rosemary's Baby was in there. Um, the Wicker Man is one of my favorites from 1973. Um, and it would not be an episode of Movie Fellas if it wasn't also in some way related to memes. So we decided to <laughs> combine the 73 Wicker Man with the 2006 Wicker Man mm-hmm. starring uh, the memeified Nicolas Cage. So we're going to talk about both of those. My favorite movies. actor. And I will Watch also, tongue, uh, I will also provide man. a defense of Nicolas Cage. I do enjoy his acting 
pretty consistently, but we'll uh, so do there. I. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the 73 Wicker Man. I feel like that's the one that we can sink our teeth into <laughs> and talk about more. Um, yeah. So here's the quick intro for people who are not familiar with Wicker Man. And at some point, this will get spoilery, but we can we can probably it's give a, a like warning when 30 it's 30-some-odd-year-old movie now. I think we're okay. Yeah, yeah. but this yeah, is a movie well, that definitely relies on a twist um, true. Or, that's true. or a yeah. piece of, of hidden information. So mm-hmm. I think that we should allow our listeners to, to not know that after until a certain point in the show. So we'll, we'll say it clearly, guys, yes. everyone listening. We'll have some, like, rave horns or something when there's about what to be... Oh, gosh, spoilers. now I'm going to have to go in and edit yeah, that in. All right, that. all right, I'll set a reminder, rave horns. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, The Wicker Man, 1973, is directed by Robin Hardy. It is a British horror film. Robin Hardy was a bit of a one-hit wonder director. He didn't really have uh, any successful films mm-hmm. after The Wicker Man, uh, though he did release... Uh, a sister film uh, called The Wicker Tree in 2011. This was not a sequel or a remake of The Wicker Man, um, but it is exploring a lot of the same ideas, supposedly. I don't know. I haven't seen it. One thing that I thought was uh, amusing about it was that uh, The Wicker Tree is based off of a novel also written by Robin Hardy, and the novel's title is Cowboys for Christ. And I thought that you guys would appreciate that. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Literature. Yes. That's uh, interesting. Oh, wow. He just recently died. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, because I was wondering how old he was. See? If he had... Now we have death. What year did he die? Time. Uh, last year, 2016. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this episode is even spookier yeah. now. Um, yeah. Ooh. So the it's development right. of the film, uh, it was originally a concept developed by the screenwriter, Anthony Schaefer, along with Robin Hardy, but notably also Christopher Lee, um, who a lot yeah. of modern filmgoers know as Saruman from the Lord of the Rings films. He's Count Dooku. In Which the... I will henceforth re- refer to him as. We can, Yeah, we can call him Saruman. That's fine. Um, but Very well. before... The Wicker Man, he was most known for being in a bunch of what's called hammer horror films, these sort of campy uh, monster movies by by a company called Hammer, put out in like the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. Okay. Uh, he played Dracula for them and a couple of other roles. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So he wanted to break out of that image, um, and the concept here was to make a movie about quote-unquote old religion, uh, something that is very much a contrast to hammer horror, which is more, uh, I don't know... Um, more focused on effects and and creatures and things like that. So the movie was uh, made along with a lot of music that was developed for the film. There's 13 different folk songs uh, throughout the course of The Wicker Man, all performed by a Were those all recorded specifically for the movie? I am almost certain that they were recorded for the movie. Okay, I was going to say, because that's one of the things I really enjoyed in this, is the soundtrack. Yeah. You know, and like the... I, I yeah, like to ahead. think of it as a horror musical. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the band is called Magnet, just for the record, who made all the, the okay. music here. They have not really made anything notable either. This is a weird little flash-in-the-pan uh, movie that nobody involved, aside from Christopher Lee, ended up having that huge of a career after this movie. But it is somehow stood up as this mm-hmm. classic. People have called it the Citizen Kane of horror films. I don't know if I agree with yeah. that, but oh, man. Uh, I do love it a lot. Um, Never heard that before. That's okay. One thing that is um, weird about the movie is that there are a lot of different versions of the film. Uh, originally, Robin Hardy gave the studio a cut that was 99 minutes. Uh, they cut it down uh-huh. to 87. 
they wanted it to be on a double bill with a, a film by Nicholas Rogue called Don't Look Now, which is another really strange, surreal horror film from 1973 that I recommend. Um, and the 99-minute cut does not really exist anymore. Uh, today, we have access to a 95-minute cut, 92-minute cut, 91-minute cut. Uh, and at one point, the studio cut the movie into a 17-minute short, um, which <laughs> goes straight from the, the main character arriving on the island of the movie right to the climax of the film. Cutting out oh, really? everything wow. in the rising action. Um, so oh, that yeah. is that is weird. All right. um, Sounds like Norse's kind of movie. <laughs> oh, haste! I actually enjoy art. All right, that's Believe the closest you can I'm get to reading the Wikipedia summary of the movie right there. <laughs> now, I'm curious. Before I get into the concept and just summarizing the film, uh, what do we know? What cut everybody watched? I have no idea. I'm I think mine I was ninety-three the or something. A, a good way to tell is um, how many nights does the main character stay on the island in your cut? I think two. I don't yeah, remember. If, if you have two? two, two or more is the you know the extended version of the movie. Uh, the shortened versions all have him staying just one night. So yeah, it's definitely two because the first night, someone. Um, there are individuals becoming intimate in the other room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next, and then the next one, this woman is enticing him. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there, I, there was two nights banging um, on the walls in, so to speak. in mine. We'll we'll get back into that. Um, so concept of the movie <coughs> summary for anybody who is unfamiliar. Uh, the movie is about a British police officer uh, who is a devout Christian. His name is Howie. Uh, which is a fun name. Uh, he is sent to investigate a young girl who has gone missing on this remote island called uh, Summer Isle. And uh, when he arrives, he gets a bunch of conflicting information about the girl. Some people say she never lived there. Some people say she did. Some say she's dead. Some say she doesn't even exist anymore. Some, some say, say she's, she's not a rabbit. human. Yeah, some say she's a rabbit. It, and <laughs> the, inv- the investigation becomes a series of dead ends. It's very fruitless. And... Mm-hmm. The the mystery of what happened to the girl does not really drive the film. Uh, instead, the police officer is continually uh, intrigued and, and mortified by the customs of the island, which feels completely uh, distanced from you know quote unquote modern culture. Uh, in mm-hmm. in the island's culture, fertility is valued above all things, and uh, some of the things that the character experiences in the first couple nights is uh, he hears pub songs about old men banging the pub owner's daughter. He sees uh, Mm -hmm. orgies from outside his window. He goes into a school and sees teachers teaching about phallic symbols being holy and rituals of young kids dancing naked in circles. Everything runs contrary to his Christian understanding about purity and sins of the flesh and things like that. Um, And so the conflict is less about whether or not he's going to find the girl and more about how he's going to reconcile the island's ideology with his ideology uh, he's both utterly disgusted by what he sees on the island, but also very tempted by it as well. He, there's mm-hmm. something about the island's laissez-faire treatment of sexuality that is enticing to him on, on some instinctual level, and he's got to battle that. Um, and I, I thought that it would be an interesting film to talk to you guys about, especially considering it is concerning religion in a large way, and, and all of you guys have either studied like theology or ministry one way mm-hmm. or another so 
that that's my intro to the film. What are our just uh, immediate reactions? I w- um, oh, okay, you go, Matt. Go ahead, Adam. Okay, all right. So for me, I did not really. I usually take a lot of time and look into a lot of background information, research a film. But because of my schedule, I didn't really have that time this week. So at this point, when I finished the film, my immediate like jerk react, like knee jerk reaction. um, And I'm not talking about whether I liked it or not. It was more just from the, Mm -hmm. from a, from a big picture perspective. It felt like it was a really good uh, a really good portrayal of like, a Christianity, a Christian esque subversion of modern values, mm-hmm. and watching that okay. character kind of go through this—it wasn't necessarily a transformation because he was pretty static because he was forced to make a lot right, of decisions the whole time. that challenged his faith. But yet, by the end, he kind of, with quoting Psalm twenty-three, while he's dying, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, just kind of. It just it just evoked a lot of just Christ-like imagery, which I'm sure was very intentional in the film. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, my first thoughts were: it reminds me of Hot Fuzz. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, that. Hot Fuzz. Hot I can Fuzz see is that. totally yeah. inspired by The Wicker Man. Yes. Yeah, it must be. I was like, this is it's a cop. He goes to this island. It's a bunch of weird stuff going on, and like he's like, am I the only one who doesn't realize this yeah, yeah, is yeah. crazy? Huh. You know, um, I didn't even think about that. I, and I yeah. completely forgot about it. But when I watched Hot Fuzz a couple of months ago in preparation for Baby Driver, I was continually astounded by how many Wicker, like direct Wicker Man references there are. Right, there. right, right. I'm gonna have to go back and watch Hot Fuzz because I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like, yeah, that's that, that's that, that's that. Because like, I was like, this is like Hot Fuzz. Um, yes. The one of the first things I thought about it is the pacing is a lot quicker than I expected it to be, especially for a movie in the '70s. It's a lot more there, and this kind of goes with how this is why I avoid older movies. In all honesty, because I know there's a lot <laughs> of good movies and blah blah blah, cinematography and themes oh and whatever. God. But listen, the pacing is slow in a lot of these older movies, and it's boring. And that's what I think. And, all right. Oh, you know, I, I said this on the Joan of Arc episode, which sadly would not be listened to by anyone. But uh, I. When I wanted to do a crossover episode with you guys, I did intentionally want to force you to watch something older so that we right. could kind of expand yeah. the palette of what Movie Fellas talks about a little bit. I think it's interesting, though, that you uh, enjoy how fast-paced the movie is, considering this is a movie that somebody, at least at one point in time, wanted to cut it down to 17 minutes and make it even faster. Right. Well, yeah. And that, and that's that. I mean, that goes with it. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought it was. I thought it was... I thought the mystery was intriguing um, of it. You know, uh, I didn't really know. I knew I've I've heard the synopsis of the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man. So I know kind of what happens in that one. But this still kept me relatively interested. So. Haste. Oh, I'm up. Um, (laughs) Well, let's see. (laughs) We got Uh, me. We got Matt. We got Andrew. We got the ghost. Of Andrew Jackson and then you. So. Uh, the ghost um, of Magnet, the band. If anything that really stood out to me that this movie did really well, it kind of had a lot of, I guess, it was a lot of atmospheric tension. While mm-hmm. it wasn't mm-hmm. really kind of like that whole hot fuzz thing, the main character knows what's going on, but everything else just seems so weird and awkward. That you're just yeah. like, how do I, how do I handle this? How do I, 
I don't keep watching seeing the main character in so much distress over just the the in his mind everything wrong going on around him and no one else acknowledging it. So kind of pretty much the same acknowledgement that everyone else has made so far. I think that would be a good point to jump off of to talk about this as a horror film because we are presenting this to people on Halloween. Uh, it is ostensibly a right. horror movie, as people say, the Citizen Kane of horror movies. Do you find the movie <laughs> scary? Do you consider it to be horrifying? I think by the, not really. Well, hold on a second. Wait. wait uh, well, I, me personally, dissension. no. <laughs> the dictionary the amongst the movie fellers. The dictionary definition <laughs> of horror is anything that disturbs in any mm-hmm. way, essentially. Okay. So Uh-oh. If, if you're s- what. I'm just that, saying. I'm just. That, I'm enjoying this. That, uh-oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> big fans of the dictionary. Under the, the assumption that this is more along the lines of a psychological horror than yes. Granted, it's not necessarily something that disturbs the viewer directly, but it's disturbing in the form of. I imagine back then it would have been more along the lines of horror because we're not as. I guess unsensitized to everything that took place in that movie. Desensitized. I will yeah. say to counter <laughs> yeah, that yeah, point um, that 1973 was the same year that Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out. So like uh, that, well, that's that's, that's the, the other end of the spectrum of movies that are really gruesomely horrifying. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And that's, so I think I guess I guess it. Go ahead, Andrew. I was just gonna. I think this movie is making a deliberate choice to be horrifying in a way that is not violent per se or yeah, not surprising right. and and you can't necessarily say it's offensive because it's off the heels of the sexual revolution and so yes, for a lot of people that were coming about. right we're going true. right into it it's like oh well you know well people having sex in the field what are you gonna do woodstock eh? you yeah yeah <laughs> on one level it's you know you can look at it as just you know the, that plot level of christian police officer disturbed by very sexually liberated weird cult Uh, but it could also be (laughs) looked at as an allegory for the generational divide between uh the the 50s and the 70s right because you have this folk music that's playing the entire time that really sounds like something you would hear at woodstock uh or or something like that so you're you're capturing this certain like youthful counterculture and presenting it framing it within this quote-unquote horrifying uh, context of you know all all of like good quote unquote good Christian values turned upside down and like what is the older re- what does the older generation make of this and how do they how do they deal with it right yeah absolutely I can't remember um, what I was gonna say so it must not have been that important sorry I didn't mean to hijack your <laughs> you're thought good. you're good no uh, you're good <laughs> are there other thoughts about this scariness of the movie. Before we move into other oh yeah that's what i was gonna say um it, along the lines of anything that disturbs yeah i mean uh, then yeah it did it did it was scary it was horrifying i guess you could say because there were some legitimately disturbing more of like thinking of okay put myself in this context yeah that's pretty horrifying you know <laughs> it has so. a lot of very shocking imagery i wouldn't necessarily i right. mean it's not not really violent you don't really get jump scares in this movie but you know, all of a sudden you'll just see groups of people wearing masks out in public. Right. And uh, oh, those masks in the old version are terrifying. Yeah, they oh, are. Yeah. They are so scary. 
They have one kind of, the of scariest an things I thought was the beetle thing. Oh yeah, yeah God, the sadistic school children torturing yeah. beetles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like just the feeling that is created by those scenes at night where various people are having sex in various places and there's just so much weird energy and tension that is that is built ratcheting yeah. up in the movie and you don't quite know what to do with yourself in that moment like mm-hmm. there's there's a specific montage sequence sequence i think that the editing in this is super strong um where it is the cutting thing the, yeah so it's cutting back and forth between yeah. an orgy happening outside um a uh, a woman having sex with a young boy in the room next door to the protagonist people underneath the protagonist on the floor below him playing a song um, we're being introduced to Christopher Lee's character outside, and we're seeing two slugs have sex on a leaf. And, like, the movie is oh, just see, I didn't even se- seamlessly that. cutting between these, like, five different things. And it's information overload, and we can tell from the distress on the main actor's face that this is on. This is very psychologically disturbing or, or unsettling to him because it's... It's almost like temptation is literally all around him. He cannot escape it yeah. on this island. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about religion. Um, it was touched on a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. but um, I'm specifically interested in your guys' perspective because you have a very different one than I do. Uh, what is it like to watch this movie from a Christian perspective, and what do you think it might be saying about religion? Um, it, I can't really talk about what I want to talk about until we get into spoilers. Okay. Um, okay. Cause there are a couple, yeah, there are a couple of parts that, um, it, it's interesting cause I think, and I think that all the guys would agree with me as well as you, Andrew, he, he kind of goes in like a, like a, a bright eye, like a, I don't know how to describe this, an untainted, almost childlike like view of yeah. religion and, and, and Christianity, you know? And so once he sees something that is contrary to, you know, his beliefs, it's like, why would you even kind of think of these things? Albeit, I think there are Christians who are like that, maybe who have been more sheltered their lives, but these are like to the nth degree of extreme, you know? Uh, he's not seeing someone who's, you know, saying, oh, the Bible isn't real. He's seeing, you know, like promiscuity you know uh, you know like intense promiscuity and he's seeing like people just with a a very flippant view of kind of life in in the physical body and stuff like that so um he kind of has like a a naive not naive i won't i won't say naive because scripture says childlike faith is good he had he has an untainted view of christianity that he hasn't had to push past at this point it seems like Mm mm-hmm um, well, what do you guys just, think? Okay, um, kind of to build off of that. Oh crap! I kind of lost my train of thought. Um, if anything, it kind of um, it's it's kind of the middle of the road film because it shows. Um, are we? Can we just be in the spoiler part already? It's really. Let's, I think we probably should. Do we? Do we need to? Yeah, we probably should. I, I, okay. Yeah, for me to so, get this point so across, cue, I, I need to. Q like club music air horns right now all right all right spoilums okay so you look at the end of the movie when they're at least in both movies um in the nick cage when they're pouring bees into his helmet which 
we'll get oh, more yeah. into later. The and the um and the original um you we see this christian character sitting there screaming what is being done right now is not going to make any difference it's it's not going to matter nothing you can do even killing me is not going to fix your problems because look at where you guys are at so it, it's really kind of a middle of the road one's not right but one's not wrong kind of mentality at least that's how i kind of viewed it if I can, real quick, before Adam talks, build off that oh, point. Um, the scientific revolution was partially inspired by a lot of Christians because they were like, oh, crap, um, you know, these volcanoes and these, these acts of nature happen. It's probably not because of the god of the sun or the god of the seas or whatever like that. So let's try and explain it through, like, science and through natural causes and he's like you guys are dumb he's like killing me is not gonna do anything there's no such thing as the (laughs) the god of the sea or anything like that it's just natural stuff you you know he goes on saying you know it's not you have bad crops because this land isn't good for crops you know that's Mm -hmm. why well i think it was the crops i think it was more the crops that were specifically good for the land but yeah 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 same same thing yeah that that is a really interesting point that uh the movie is putting the 20th century understanding of science and 20th century understanding of Christianity on the same team, so to speak. It's like right, which in, in, a, in a movie's <laughs> like in a movie like God's Not Dead, like those are the competing actors, right? Yes. And, and here, like those two things can work in tandem to to fight against something that is uh, maybe more insidious than than both. Right. Yeah. Um, uh huh. Spooky. He Adam. mentioned insidious. Well, insidious is good. <laughs> Was there, well, was there another guess, thought out there about the religious stuff? I guess I for me, in a lot of ways, m- most people who I, I would imagine would see the film would finish it and go, man, this just seems like it's a big attack on my faith. And I really just don't appreciate a movie like this. When, yeah, I can when see that. In, when in reality, the movie is, it's in a way, opposite. in a way, it's almost the opposite. And... Yeah. Really, what the movie, if I, it, coming from a perspective of someone who has faith and is interested in how that relates to media and film, what that story told me was my faith really isn't worth much until it is tested. Mm-hmm. And oh, for him, so. and for him, his ultimate test was his willingness to sacrifice his life for the greater good. And he, and that's like a... Christopher Lee Saruman even says it. He's like, consider yourself lucky. You know, you're you're a you martyr. No martyr, one gets yeah. to be a martyr nowadays. You know. Yeah, and even <laughs> even though he he could technically sit back and like he could let it all happen the way it goes, he's still willing to 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 push. You know what I mean? Right. And there's an just... unintended connection to the lost episode and Joan of Arc too, which is also about a a Christian martyr having their faith tested that's and true. allowing themselves to be killed. But to go back to your point about you know, the the typical American Christian viewer finishing this film, what their takeaway is going to be. I imagine that a lot of viewers would just be disgusted by the sexual content of the film. Mm. Like, it's yeah, a very okay. lewd... I, I think it was rated X uh, when it came out in England, because that was still Saucy. a thing in the 1970s. Yeah, so it is... Um, strange to think of a of a movie an x-rated film interrogating religion in a way that is not condemning religion but Mm -hmm. exactly raising questions Mm -hmm. about it Uh, and i'm wondering what you guys think about the way in which the movie may or may not um, equate 
Christianity and the pagan religion of Samurai. Like there's the moment where um, our main character, Howie, is talking about all this like crazy mysticism related to uh, uh, reincarnation and, and fertility that doesn't make any sense to him. That's not science. And then Christopher Lee's character says, but your savior was born of a virgin impregnated by a ghost. Yeah. And, and the movie is, I think, in some way, maybe asking us to say, like, well, are some of these, like, arbitrary pieces of lore uh, any different uh, from the, the arbitrary pieces of lore of, you know, ancient, ages-old uh, uh, pagan societies? Uh, what do you guys make of that? What's your takeaway there? Uh, I guess <laughs> I can, I'm going to just say a little something. I'm not Go going ahead, to try to answer it all. Um, my first thought is I feel like the film's ultimate goal was to really – I mean, yeah, to ask that question, but not necessarily to provide its own answer. It just yeah, wanted yeah. to provide as much context as possible for both views. So that if you were a viewer that came from any perspective of religion and faith, you would find yourself questioning whatever it was. Like, there isn't a person who could walk in and just go, I don't know what to think about. You know, there, there's going to be mm-hmm. whether or not you're a Christian, maybe you're a Buddhist, or maybe you're Hindu, or and you have to ask yourself, do these certain parts of my faith, are they really necessary or required for me to continue to have it? And that's yeah. a view that's extended not just to Christianity, but to all worldviews, all all belief systems, which so I think is helpful. Yeah, it's that a- matters as much as the lifestyle or the values. Exactly. Because yeah. ultimately, even if paganism was completely right, it still kills people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. both sides are still martyring yeah, people with no issue. So there's a skepticism about, I guess, religious practices, I guess you could say. Um, but, you know, and like, like you said, his, his, he's kind of tested and he's tempted, but he, in, in the end, he ends up quoting Psalm 23 and he's, you know, praying to God. But yeah, I, I think, I think that, that the film just kind of builds on the skepticism. And I thought that was interesting that it did that because, you empathize with the protagonist. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I did the entire time. So if there wasn't any pushback, I think it would have felt unnatural um, to where you just, you just kind of feel, Oh yeah, he's, he's, he's right. He's, he's whole. Exactly. You know, and, it's uh, not necessarily built um, as like, he's some white knight in shining armor. He's just someone mm-hmm. who, who's the next in line to be tested. Or Which to be, uh, yeah, knights in shining armor do come up in the Nicolas Cage version, but we'll, let's hold well, off yeah, for like well, just another couple minutes that on is that. A meme before that we is there. pure toxicity. Uh, um. Let's uh, let's talk about the ending just a little bit more before we wrap up on the '73 version. I'm wondering because this is a movie that it relies on that twist ending in a lot of ways, and it's become entrenched in a sort of pop culture consciousness. I think so. I'm wondering yeah. if you already knew the ending going into the film. And if you did, do you think the movie still works if you knew the ending? Haste, we haven't heard from you. Um, hmm. I f- Can you repeat the question one more time? Sorry. D- did, you already know, did you already know the ending before you started to watch it? And if oh. you did, do you think the movie still works? Um, I knew the ending only because I'd seen the Nick Cage version way back when. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, and I feel like the, if anything, oddly enough, the, I feel like the Nick Cage version and his death was a lot worse 
if that makes any sense. Just because he got the bees. Well, because he got... <laughs> I forget, did they... Okay, I know Okay, that so to quickly jump already. ahead to the Nick Cage version, <laughs> the version that I watched does not have the bees clip in it. Oh, I My understanding man. was that was the deleted kind of scene. So yeah. did well, you guys watch a version that ends with him getting... Attack I rented bees. it oh, on yeah. Amazon. Oh, I saw it. I rented it on Amazon, so... In all of its glory. And the version um, he gets his legs broken, too. Yep. See, in the version that I watched, they literally bring him to another Wicker Man, and they burn him alive exactly the way they do Howie in the first version. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, Mine must have been like an extended cut well, or something. considering that entire new version flies in the face of everything the original attempted to do, <laughs> can, I, can I blame them for <laughs> yeah. trying to save the, a little bit of grace? By just we'll, the ending. we'll get there. Let's it, other <laughs> other responses to whether or not we think the movie still works. If you know the ending slash, did you? I think I, it I, does. Yeah. See, what's funny is I knew the ending because I'm like, he's gonna get sacrificed. I I hadn't seen clips from the old one or anything, but I'm like, dude, man's gonna get sacrificed. And so, but building up the whole time, I was like, well, are they gonna sacrifice this girl? So I think like. I thought that legitimately, even though I kind of knew or I had heard the ending before. Um, so I think it, I think it does work really, really well. Um, still, even knowing the ending, it's not mm-hmm. the destination; it's the journey. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because so so much of the film is just seeing Howie's reaction to all the various pieces of culture related to Summer Isle that he comes across. So again, the question of whether or not he finds the girl does not matter. The question of whether or not he dies, it matters thematically, but it doesn't matter to the many conflicts that are just densely packed into this film mm-hmm. and the, the series, the this feeling of stress and tension that it creates. Um, you, you're not necessarily thinking about the end goal. You're thinking about the character's belief system the entire time. Yep. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. So and I think it definitely works. Yeah. Should Should we go to the 2006 version, or should oh, we I'm have ready. any other thoughts about 73? Oh, I'm ready. This is the most disgust I can portray in my voice. That's 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 disgust. That's my disgust noise. <laughs> gosh. Okay. Gosh. So if we're doing this, here's a little bit of context uh, of the 2006 film. Um, this came at a time when studio horror movies were in a habit of either remaking classic American films uh, or remaking recently made international horror films, specifically from Japan. So if you right. look at a timeline of this, like 2002 is The Ring, 2003 there's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, mm-hmm. you got The Grudge in 04, Zack Snyder does Dawn of the Dead in 2004 as well. They do the Omniville Horror, they do The Fog, they do... A J horror film that called Dark Water. They remake The Hills Have Eyes, The Omen. They make a Silent Hill movie. Uh, they remake oh, yeah. uh, Pulse, the Japanese oh, film. Oh, the Silent Hill uh, movie. And and like <laughs> this is all leading up to The Wicker Man, which also gets uh, followed up with Rob Zombie makes Halloween, and there's a new Friday the Thirteenth. So in today's horror world, like it it seems we've kind of moved on from the found footage genre of the early 2010s and we're now kind of in mm-hmm. the the James Wanaverse of like different like conjuring universe films and and uh right. Ouija movies and things like that but into that in the 2000s like what people wanted to see or what studios wanted to make was remakes of established properties that people already had some sort of prestige associated with so Wicker Man was one of mm-hmm. those 
Um, it is it is one of these weird movies that is getting made a lot now, actually, where it's it's neither a prequel or a sequel or a remake. It's it's sort of a retelling of the original film, but it's set yeah. in the future, like almost like the events of the first film did still yeah, happen. Yeah, I got a beef with the set in the present day part. Anyway, what what are you, yeah okay well, yeah. Um, because like there's a bunch of examples of this like people said the Force Awakens was kind of a a sequel slash remake of New Hope and you have things like Jurassic World and King Kong and the the Mummy all this stuff. Mad Max sort of like yeah. yeah um and this movie reframes the original film's ideological struggle about faith and sexuality and and puts it into a context specifically about gender hierarchy. Um, our main character mm-hmm. comes to not summer isle but summer's isle for whatever reason um and it is a a matriarchy where all men are essentially mute and uh women run the the society though the actual culture and the values of the culture are not dwelled upon nearly as much as they are in the 73 film uh Mm -hmm. i will say that and this is something pointed out to me by my cinematary co-host nathan smith uh this is made by a guy named Neil Neil Labute, who is a notable ex-Mormon. He was ex- excommunicated by the Mormon Church because uh, he was. That's a, interesting. Yeah. Why he didn't add the religious themes then? Yeah. Well, I mean, my Nathan's take on it was that Mormonism is a a system of a very strict gender hierarchy where where women have right. very little power and very little voice. So he wanted to make mm-hmm. a, an inverted version of that where men have no power and women have all the power and uh, kind of interrogate oh, this okay. like Mormon value system in that way. But there's really no religion That's to speak of in the movie. Um, right. He does add a bunch of bee imagery, as we have alluded to. Um, apparently, uh, in addition to, be, to make, being like great meme fodder, bees are uh, a common symbol in Mormonism for like industriousness and being part of the larger hive and things like that. Uh, but I'm bearing the lead here most notably the film casts Nicolas Cage in the leading role uh, nothing but the best the cage master Nick the cage cage Um, (laughs) Andrew Andrew, before we move forward real quick um, you were saying about Summer's Isle Um, I have secret hidden knowledge of why that happened so the studio had a Swedish intern that was typing up the script and when they said, how do you spell the old one? They said, Summer Isle, but he had the S on the home row key instead of the A. And so they said, eh, we'll go with it. <laughs> what, where is your source on this? I just, no it Wikipedia. I, I just made it up. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I can see it. Fake news. That was good. That was good. Um, Fake news. <laughs> and, and that very... You know, canonical on the internet B scene was not in the theatrical cut. I guess it was added <laughs> for the director's cut as an alternate ending. For the but best, I guess ending. you guys all watched that. So, oh yeah, what are your responses to the 2006 Wicker Man? The it's best the movie worst. ever made. Like, I just, oh gosh. Okay, um, this is one gripe I had that probably shouldn't be a gripe. Okay, all right. So the original takes it. So it takes place. Okay, so seventy three, right? So when you get when he get on when he gets on the island, the island looks like it's maybe like 
10, 15 years in the past, it looks like when you walk into a Radio Shack that for some reason is still in business. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like you got like the Casio keyboards that they're still selling for like 300 bucks and they're going on Craigslist for 20 bucks because they're, you know, like 15 years old. You know, it looks like, but it could exist. It's like a place that's kind of just right. hasn't kept up with the times. In the Nick Cage version, the late the the women are all in bonnets. Yeah, uh, what, um, like it's supposed to be in two thousand and six, and it looks it's, like it's the eighteen hundreds. One of my favorite. Like, it's um, not believable. One of my favorite <laughs> film critics, Mark Kermode, who works for the BBC, referred to it as the entire movie takes place in Ooga Booga Land, <laughs> which is <laughs> that's a good way like, of describing the setting. That's seriously. I, I mean, it's terrible. Like the whole movie's just bad. It's uh, like, uh, is it set in? actual time or is it all a dream sequel like i i don't know <laughs> it's terrible it's a horrible movie. one way i kind of looked at it so boring it was Ugh. it was um it was the village without the m night twist yeah yeah yeah. pretty much okay that's yeah that's fair enough a lot a lot of Dang the same right. imagery and and set design costume design definitely carry over from the village which i think was made in a pretty uh, uh close vicinity to this time wise that was like a 2003 okay, yeah. 2004 movie something like that it's it's mid 2000s yeah, yeah. so oh, there's no way to look it up, it up. I, I imagine the success of the village could have village was oh four this. oh yeah. yeah so two years okay so that would that would be, make perfect sense for this to be put in production after that was successful mm-hmm. oh yeah um, because yeah. just to throw in the little statistic real quick the village budget was 60 million and it made 256 so yeah, i'd say that's pretty successful for oh four and yeah, people absolutely. didn't like the twist of the village. I mean, general mm-hmm. audiences didn't like it. So, The Wicker Man really? is an attempt of of giving you that story, but without that very controversial ending. Dude, I freaking right. love the ending. Right. I love the village of the village. Yeah, yeah, I'm that's with a, you. I, I that totally surprises agree. me, man. That makes me sad. Okay, I'm neutral towards it. It's fine. Like I don't love it, but. Dude, so let's talk about what you think of the Nick Cage explode. one, Adam. What? <laughs> what do you think of the Nick Cage one? Oh, the Nick Cage one? I mean, it's like pretty much garbage. I mean, I enjoyed it. It was entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I I want to interrogate this a little bit because though I think the 73 Wicker Man is a masterpiece, the perfect movie, it's classic, and this is not on that level. I don't watch it and think this is complete garbage. So, why why do we hate it so much? Okay, I guess I'll go I, and start because I'm the one, I'm the one being that guy. Yeah. As much as I am trying to make a joke out of it, um, <laughs> I will retract and say it's not complete garbage. However, the issue I, I always struggle with, and maybe this is 100% arbitrary and not up for discussion, and I should just leave it out of the room. But the ethos and the personality of Nicolas Cage has become such a strong like. I mean, I don't even want to use meme. It's just kind of a joke. It's a joke, yeah. That he is kind I, of the joke of Hollywood. That is that it is hard for me to remove the personality and the internet humor from the character, and so a lot of the film's mm-hmm. tone and atmosphere is completely ruined for me because all I keep thinking is not the bees in every single well, scene. But that's a lot not... of a lot of the memeified moments of the bees and the the doll and the bear costume and the punch, mm-hmm. like. Those all come in the last 20-ish minutes of the film. And I I went into this movie expecting for it to be really campy and really over-the-top and unintentionally comedic. And once, I I will say, I did not love this movie. But once I was 15-ish minutes into it, 
kind of forgot about all that stuff. It, it fell away for me because the movie is very straight-faced. And honestly, so much so that it becomes a little boring. Like, I, I expected this movie, uh, yeah. in a way, mm-hmm. to be, you know, this, this unintentional camp classic. But instead, it's just kind of long and quiet. And, you know, I, I was kind of uninterested in a lot of the things. Because they, they tone down the ideological stuff so much. Like, gender roles don't, don't uh, occupy the, the center piece of the narrative in the same way that the right. religion does in the original movie. So it, it focuses on the mystery, and the mystery is not interesting, right? Like, you're not going to find the girl. Nope. Everything is a dead end. She shows up magically at the end, and... Therefore, all of Nick Cage like stumbling around in barns and like looking under river grates and things like that, and waking up from three different dreams. Yeah, like. all of his backstory about this trauma <laughs> he experienced with the the saving the little girl from the car. Like none of that feels like it has any weight. It doesn't matter yeah, in any sort not, of thematic yeah. level. So it's like your enjoyment of it lives or dies by how much you're enjoying Nicolas Cage ham it up in that moment. And he plays it pretty straight for most of the movie. And I enjoy Nicolas Cage. I think he has serious star power. And oh, he, he, he brings himself to every single role, which I, I think is great as an acting philosophy, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. But I enjoy his movies where he does get to let loose a little bit, like in Raising Arizona or in uh, Vampire's Kiss or something like that. Um, and here... He's just kind of playing the the hardened cop, and that's I don't think that's the best role for Nicolas Cage. I think he needs to be. It's a little not unhinged. the best role. It's not the best role, and the dialogue is so bad. Like I mean, like I I don't know who wrote this. I didn't I didn't look it up. Um, the two thousand six was don't, written by. Um, it's the same as the director. Um, oh, was Labute, okay. Neil Labute. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like that's the thing. Like, I I think Nicolas Cage it ha- it has fantastic roles, and he he's he's a phenomenal actor when he's given the right material. Just like most actors, I mean, Hayden Christensen is not a bad actor, but what what do you do when George Lucas gives you a script? Like, it sucks. Like, yeah, what do you you can't you know? So I think I think a lot of it is just the acting, and obviously the direction is just. That's the thing for me. Like, I, I think it's atrociously atrocious. It's atrocious because, yeah, there there's some parts where you can kind of laugh it up, and it's funny because it's Nick Cage, but it's boring and it doesn't work as a mystery horror film. It just doesn't. You know, like the mystery isn't interesting. The horror isn't scary. Well, I think the know? problem with it is the fact that the mystery gets boring because in the end we find out there is no mystery. So yeah. it's like I just yeah, sat all through. Know. I sat through this for nothing, essentially, which sucks to say. But yeah, <laughs> it, it is what yeah. they give you. Yeah, and it is not a scary film either. I mean, the first one is psychologically terrifying in a lot of ways, and it has a lot of surreal imagery that makes you do a double take. But this film mm-hmm. doesn't even have that stuff, and and it doesn't have scares either. So. It, I could definitely see somebody watching this and being like, this is not a horror film. Like, in no way is yeah, it a horror absolutely. film. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I don't even know yeah, if you absolutely. can really give it much of a, a genre, to be honest. I mean, other than I mean like it's a mystery. mystery. Thriller? It's a, it's a yeah. police procedural, I guess. Um, but 
know. Yeah, it's, it's so funny. The the Wicker Man, a police procedural. A police procedural. <laughs> and if you guys are watching Lethal the version Weapon six colon Wicker Man, <laughs> if you guys are watching the version with the B ending, there's actually no Wicker Man. You know, like why is it called yeah, the they, Wicker Man if it's if they don't they they end it so abruptly and I was I was interested at why they did that and I couldn't I I I just finished watching it so I went and watched the ending on YouTube the the Wicker Man ending yeah and um because I, I I was watching the Wicker Man I was gonna get some Wicker Man but um <laughs> it's just it's not that that is not nearly as effective as the original you know Wicker Man like right. It, it you just don't feel the weight of it and it yeah it doesn't work it doesn't work none of it works it's less serious also they tried to also they to tried use. to get yeah and also they tried to give him empathy it's like oh it's your daughter right. or whatever you know like yeah all and, he has a, a lot of backstory that doesn't stop. feel necessary <laughs> and yeah but also a lot of the analysis that i've seen in this movie tries to put it in the context of examining gender roles and people want to look at Nicolas Cage's character as this misogynist who has to confront a matriarchal power structure, right? And he definitely has latent misogynist tendencies. Like, he commands women around like he owns them and things like that. But, you know, when Howie arrives on the island in the 1973 Wicker Man, he is, like, flaunting his Christianity left and right everywhere he possibly can. And you have to really be looking for the way that Nicolas Cage treats women to find anything. It does it does not seem readily apparent. The only thing that's readily apparent is again this un, uninteresting mystery. So like did you guys get anything out of that like thematic strain Honestly, of the movie no. about men and women? No, Wonder Woman did it better. <laughs> you know, like like seriously, like Where's like the I line? think that they could have well, well, yeah, they could have done it a lot. Like, if they if they really wanted to play that, and that's interesting. See, I didn't know he was an ex Mormon, and yeah. knowing just a little about Mormonism that I do, I know that they are a very you know patriarchal focused society. You know, so that would have been interesting if it had been done well. I think the most it was done pointed... in such a way that you have if you if it requires that level of of inspection, then it's no longer a part of a film. That's no longer right. part of the film's purpose. It's just something that can be discovered. And that's two yeah, very different yeah. things. And casual misogyny and casual dismissal of women is so common that, you know, it's it's not if it's not readily apparent in this film, this just kind of looks like another instance of that happening in Hollywood, right? Exactly. Um, right. Though Harvey Weinstein. The the one thing that feels the most pointed the thing in the film that feels the most pointed to me about uh, gender roles is the fact that the men are mute in the society. Mm-hmm. And as Nicolas Cage is dying, at least in the version that I watched, the crowd is chanting, kill the, tr- kill the drone, like he's a, a, a drone worker bee who only exists right. to impregnate the queen and then die. Um, mm-hmm. So they're kind of like framing all of gender roles from within the the context of be power structures and, and asking us uh, like how much in common our you know culture shares with bees but i guess that is more specifically meaningful if you're coming from the mormon religion where bee symbolism is very common though I, I again i don't think this movie goes far enough i don't think it makes its point clear enough it just kind of happens you know 
Yep. Um, I agree. I agree. It's dumb. <laughs> F minus. Any any other I thoughts? I guess before we do. Uh... Oh yeah, don't they? Didn't they have like a? Oh yeah, one more thing. Yeah. Didn't they have a website, but they don't have phones on the island? Yeah, that's stupid. And like, okay. why does Nicolas right. Cage's okay. phone don't ring during it. the climax of the movie, and he picks it up, yep. and then no one answers? Like, what is that? Who's calling him? Suspense. Jesus. It's the. Oh, we we have neglected. Yeah. To Only talk Jesus about. could have saved this movie. Joseph Smith. <laughs> the one movie that. Yes, Joseph Smith is calling. <laughs> Uh, the one moment in the movie that did manage to make me laugh that did feel incredibly unintentionally comedic was when Nicolas Cage is running around in a bear costume. The bear costume. So, oh, there's no gosh. question. It's so you know what they were so, doing. You knew what happened. Like, he came out of his trailer and he said, now listen up. Listen up. This will work. I, I swear. I know we didn't table this for the writing and the script, but you're going to have to let this happen. What's his name? The director? Uh... Labute. Neil uh, Dennis Labute. Villeneuve. What? Dennis Villeneuve. <laughs> Neil Labute. Oh. Dennis? Neil Blomkamp. No, it's it's, it's Neil Villeneuve. the director. <laughs> okay, I love it because Matt barely keeps drowning out Andrew. Andrew, could you say that one more time? His name's Neil. Neil? It's He'd be like, Neil, Neil, Neil. Listen, I gave you the good stuff that you wanted. Your Mormon stuff, the bees were here. Now let me have my bear. <laughs> And then he just started running. <laughs> he punches a woman in the face while wearing a bear costume. The the, the he, kicker is he when he says, "Don't a, be afraid." He, and then he hits women. He hits women twice in this movie. There's one moment like where it almost feels like very, a martial arts film, where he's just yeah, kicking he's, women. When he in the kicks face. her. Yeah, it's like it's like a Jackie Chan movie. It's like oh. And the I think camera shakiness so just great. You don't know it. what it is at any time. Yeah. Oh gosh. All right, oh. moving on. Let's Should we get go to, to what you're watching, mate? I'm kind of glad I watched it, though, to be what, honest. What's our... Right, yeah. Can we have, like, one, like, quick wrap-up on, like, both yeah. movies? Like, how do you feel about The Wicker Man just on a pure enjoyment level, both the 73 and the 2006? I'll go first. Uh, old One's definitely a classic. I can see why everybody likes it so much because it is, like, that, that psychological, I guess, horror that it just... It's not boring like the other one is i guess that's the best way to put it it's it's short enough that it keeps your attention and you don't need to worry about um really um suspending your mind as much as you have to with the uh the nick cage version because you kind of have to pay attention to catch everything Mm -hmm. so yeah that's my okay i'd I'd give the the older one like probably a nine out of ten just for for pure classic reason and i thoroughly enjoyed it and i'd probably give the nick cage one like a three and a half out of ten it's purely mm. for the fact that nick cage is in it so there you yeah. go there you go <laughs> all right norris i mean similar to haste i mean eight out of ten for for the classic and then uh, i'll give it a two because i'm in a good mood um and and honestly it's weird because haste you're right it is both simultaneously the reason i hate and love that movie is because of nick cage nick cage (laughs) you guys know from johnson my uh my odd obsession with nick cage oh yeah i mean the banana the banana (laughs) one was probably the weirdest picture you've ever showed me yeah there was a phase um I'll, I, I'm going to give the original 8 out of 10. I really enjoyed it. It's actually something that I'd like to, like, people who are kind of 
interested in getting into classic films, which I don't really know anything about. Might be one, but like, oh, you know, if you like kind of horror mystery or anything like that, um, you know, maybe check this one out. But I really enjoyed it. It was a lot more fast paced, a lot more kind of enjoyable and mysterious, and the performances were all great. Um, <clears throat> Nick Cage, I'll give it one out of ten. Mm. I hate it so much. <laughs> Matt's playing. Matt's playing. It's Norse so in this boring, one. and that's the thing I don't like. It's called entertainment <laughs> oh, for goodness, a reason. Excuse me. And if it don't entertain me. You don't get a good grade. Oh, no. You don't care. Well, I am glad that um, we were able to look at, you know, a movie that's about 40 years old and a movie that's about 10 years old and recognized just from craft, like, yeah, the 40-year-old one is better, even though we're used <laughs> to watching more modern movies. That was kind yeah. of part of the intent of this, I guess. But okay. most, mostly I wanted to just talk about a classic horror movie with you guys, especially one that related to religion so heavily. Um, but yeah, for me, the the seventy three film is 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 perfect. It is just such a idiosyncratic, unique movie. Um, it it scares and and frightens and unsettles you in ways that no other movies do, and that's because it's working with profoundly different types of scares and disturbing content. Like it's very easy to look mm-hmm. at and say this is not a horror film. This does not have scares in it. But it's speaking a different language and making its own kind of of genre, which I love. And it's one of the only things that I think you can justifiably call a horror musical. And I love how much the music is integrated in in the Yeah, the the soundtrack is awesome in this. Um, It's fantastic. And I love all the thematic layers of talking about sexuality and faith and societal norms and what we we consider as normal, um, as well as martyrdom and all that stuff. So it's great. yeah. Go ahead. One more touching point on that, real quick. Um, I think something that makes it so much different for us in our modern day is, yes, that was around the time of the sexual revolution, I guess, if that's what what you want to call it. But our modern society is so just beat over the head with that kind of imagery and stuff, pretty much twenty four seven. I mean, we're we're much more, um, I guess, in in tune with what is being like put around us and stuff like that so i don't really think you can necessarily have the to a degree the innocence that his character had in the original yeah not as well it depends on your how you grew up as well i I guess when you were talking about personal personal resonation you know and i I think the movie does um go out of its way to make you know stereotypical ideas of promiscuity feel very strange like having um, school kids uh, sing a song about penises while they're running around a pole um, and stuff like that you know like we are inundated with Victoria's Secret ads and stuff like that but we it's not so normalized as a culture to where we're talking about phallic symbols in kindergarten class right right so I I think yeah it was to an extreme yeah my take on the 2006 Nicolas Cage film is that one one thing we did not mention is I think it's a very handsomely shot movie. It, it looks very nice. Uh, yeah. It has mm-hmm. a, a a really warm autumnal vibe to it, uh, with a lot of very deep oranges and greens and things like that. Um, and there are times when I am interested in the mythology of the movie, specifically when Ellen Burstyn is on screen, who we did not touch on, but she is the mom in The Exorcist, um, and to see her show okay. up in this movie is interesting especially in the context in which she does um but nicholas cage is is not doing a a nicholas cage role that i find particularly enjoyable uh he kind of 
fluctuates from zero to 60 and I, I want him to be at like 55 or 50 the whole time. Um, <laughs> That's a very gentle way of putting yeah. it, Andrew. <laughs> and, but overall, my main complaint is Jeez. because you, you sublimate the ideological uh, subtext of the movie so much, you, you gut the, the cultural values at the center of the film that because the mystery is now front and center and that mystery is not interesting, the movie becomes very boring. And it's also longer than the original film, which does not need yep. to happen either. So for me, Mm-mm, the original is a yeah. 10 out of 10. The 2006 is maybe like a five or maybe a six. I'm being wow. more generous than you guys. but Wow, that's, that's what at. Adam gave Spider-Man Homecoming. Man. <laughs> maybe a so five. Our average, our average for the newer one is sitting somewhere about a three and a half to a four-ish. Yeah. Okay. And the average for the old one is like a that. nine, it seems okay. like. With it. Yeah. There we go. All right, anything else? Nope, I oh, want to yeah. kick us into what you watching me. I got All this. All right, hey, kick us in there. Let's talk about movies where the new is in a way better than the old. Let's talk about Blade Runner for a hot second. Oh. I've, seen, I've seen Blade Runner 2049 twice now, just out of sheer enjoyment the first yeah. time. And I don't know. I, I made the movie review for the channel for it, so I mean... I mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoyed it enough to go sit through it again. Um, How was it the second time? Um, just as good, honestly. Awesome. Yeah. Considering it's, they it's have like Rumble- a freaking dream team of producers, just creators <laughs> in general. And good old Denny Vinny. Yeah. I mean, granted, okay, here's what makes it so great, though. Um, a lot of people kind of come to the conclusion that the old one is just flat out boring in the grand oh, scheme of things. I no. don't get why people think That's that. That's not true at all. There are a lot of people that think Blade that. Runner. Oh, I know. That's so I sad. I just don't understand it. Here's the problem that I think it comes down to. The new one is just so visually stunning that it kind of keeps your mind busy when there's nothing going on. So you're not sitting there wondering like, oh, wait, what's going on? It's like, I don't care. I'm just going to sit here and look at this masterpiece of just visual effects right dude the original i watched it the night before i went to go see blade runner because i hadn't seen it since i was 18 Mm -hmm. but i remembered enjoying it and i didn't watch the theatrical cut which has the really dumb um dub over it where he's like they're called skin jobs he like he, he like really phoned it in i watched like the director's cut ridley scott's director's cut I mean, it's visually, um, the sets are just fantastic. The way it's filmed is, uh, it's just beautiful. Um, and I thought that 2049 was amazing as well. Andrew, are you a Blade Runner fan? Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the 1985 Blade Runner. Uh, 2049, the new one, uh, it's been 25 days since I've seen it. I was kind of hoping I wouldn't have to talk about it. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? <laughs> Avoid it. Use okay. use the, the other words that you um, use. Use sentence enhancers that aren't inappropriate. I I I, <laughs> I insert curse word here. Hated Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh I, my I, gosh! I, I really. Hey, is there any way that. you can stop recording your audio right now? <laughs> <laughs> this will be another lost. Episode. The new lost episode. All right. The lost ending yeah. to this episode. Just yeah. real quick, tell us why, because you're definitely wrong. Um. <laughs> Gosh, uh, so Blade Runner, the 1980 version, 1985 version, um, like you're saying, it is so interesting and dazzling on a visual level. 
there's so many layers to the image. There's so much busyness within the frame. Uh, so many mm-hmm. uh, layers of, of fog and, and glass and neon and, and people shuffling up and down the streets. And those streets feel like they go on for miles. The, the world was completely built by Ridley Scott and his production team out of miniatures, basically. They're, they're using a bunch of arts and crafts to make this dystopian futuristic world come alive. And they absolutely nail it. It feels like this huge lived-in world um, that, that, I can, that has tangibility to it. And it is cinema, and on a cinematographic level, if I can make that into an adjective, uh, it is not, only, not only is it quote-unquote good and beautiful, but it's also interesting and unique mm-hmm. um, in its visual approach. And Blade Runner 2049 is like the epitome of like bland, good cinematography. You know, like, do you guys follow the Twitter account One Perfect Shot at all? I've heard of no. it. Okay. I obviously don't use Twitter. I'll look them up right so, now. So they're a Twitter account that just tweets out screenshots of movies that have a particularly nice looking cinematography at whatever moment of the film they've decided to grab. And uh, I, a lot of the things that they highlight are really amazing shots, but a lot of the things they highlight are just frames that are a single color with a person as a silhouette in the center of the frame. And I feel like that is quote unquote good cinematography. It looks quote unquote nice because it's symmetrical and it has this primary colors that we as like, apes are instinctually inclined to think is cute um but it is not visually interesting or engaging or or it does not tell me anything about the world of the film to make the whole frame orange and put a silhouette in the middle of it um it is just like this bland um conventional understanding of what good taste cinematography looks like and i love roger deakins who shot blade runner 2049 he has done some of uh, the the best looking movies in a really long time. I think that his previous movie mm-hmm. for uh, Villeneuve, um, Sicario, has some really innovative uh, cinematography. The way that it uses night vision and and infrared and uh, heads up display angles and things like that. It's it's so uh, creative in the way that it designs its shots, as well as things like um, Assassination of Jesse James and and tons and tons of movies that. Uh, Roger Deakins is shot and this movie feels like he is phoning it in I have to say like everybody's saying give Roger Deakins the Oscar like no he just made the shot red and put Ryan Gosling in the middle of it that is not particularly interesting um I think that I feel the like movie... we're being called mindless apes for this <laughs> no no no, no. <laughs> I think that's just like an instinctual human thing like we like primary colors right. you can't help it right um yeah and on top of that, on top of like how I think it is so visually unengaging and so uninteresting, that the narrative is so messy. It has so many uh, narrative dead ends and, and uh, deus ex machina, things that just come out in the middle of nowhere at the end. Character motivation is very difficult to parse out. Um, the ending of the film, the climax, is supposed to be this like very emotionally complicated moment. But it, it, for me, it just kind of like glanced off of me. Uh, the movie is so punishingly long and so like hushed and quiet and boring for two hours and 45 minutes. Like I am somebody who can get down with a cerebral like um, 
quiet philosophical film that is long. Like I, I really, I'm a big fan of this movie called mm-hmm. Jean Dillman that is three and a half hours of a, a, a Belgian housewife doing chores. Like that is a great movie to me. And Blade Runner 2049, it just it felt like a slog. Um, and like oh, on man, top of all that, I think that the gender politics in the movie are horrendous. And there's a really great article that people should go look at called um, Do Androids Dream of Colossal Women? Which is about the trope of, of giant naked ladies in sci-fi films and how it relates to Blade Runner 2049. Um, and I agree 100% with that article. So, I thought it was bad. Not a fan. Well, you're wrong. Um, well, we, we could talk about this all day because... <laughs> Hayes and I both loved it. Yeah, I did the review for the channel. Watching? Give, give um, us a couple more things. Well, we'll move on. I don't really have a whole lot more to add other than um, after finding a YouTube channel called Found Flicks where he talks about like in depth the ending of mostly horror movies. Um, I went back and rewatched It Comes at Night after watching his explaining the ending because he, mm-hmm. he pointed out a lot of things that I never caught. Wait, what's the it, channel? Uh, it's called Found Flicks. Okay. Um, it just made that movie that was already really just super miserable throughout and depressing. It just made it even worse, but in a way that's good. Because we spend this entire movie... It's It's been a hot minute since that came out. I'm just going to go into full spoilers. Um, do you guys care? Mind at all? Okay. Well, so considering it comes tonight as the worst film of 2017, that's I don't care if you spoil <laughs> oh. it. <laughs> well, I feel like I feel like his explanation of the ending and that everyone in the end was infected. That's why his parents were just kind of sitting across the table, all depressed from each other. Um, I feel like if you're not like paying super close attention to when they take their son out to bury and burn his body. Um, you're not going to realize that they're not wearing their masks. So it's just going to pass by that while they spent the entire movie trying to protect themselves in the end, it's still, they, they did everything in their power and it's still happening anyways. But yeah, it's really just more of a, I, I thought it was okay, but I mean, my, my take, my quick take on it comes at night, which we shouldn't get too deep into is that not only is that not a horror movie, uh, it is not a movie. Oh, I said that in my review. What? I, I blatantly stated in my review that I was like, this was marketed horribly. There is nothing horror about it in any way, shape or form. They, uh, they toted it as a monster movie and it came with literally, uh, it came, uh, with literally like nothing in regards to that other than just a few gore scenes. Well, the absence right. of the monster not only guts it in terms of like the horror genre, but like just the narrative in general. So my take was, it's not not only is it not a horror movie, it is not a movie. It is three dogs on each other's shoulders in a trench coat instead of a movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, okay, fair enough. Nothing. All right, uh, Adam, what you been watching, mate? I don't know if Norse is with us anymore. He left us. Oh my god! He did. Did my uh, Blade Runner rant chase him off? It, well, uh, probably not. We'll just well, guys, we lost Norris, so um, let's speak poorly about him now because that's Wait, the best time to I talk about Stranger someone who's behind things. their back. Okay, Stranger I'm Things. Two episodes into the season, we'll we'll just we'll just see where it goes. It's good. It's good. All right. Well, then we'll uh, Andrew. What you been watching, mate? Um, let's see. I. <laughs> 
So I, I watched another horror classic the other night, Poltergeist, which I definitely want to recommend that people watch if they've never seen it. Uh, it's a 1982 film. It's by Toby Hooper, who also made Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, but it's produced by Steven Spielberg, and a lot of people have conspiracy theories that Spielberg actually directed that movie. Um, <laughs> it, it, okay. it takes a lot of your typical Spielberg-isms, his uh, I, I, idyllic sentimentality about... Uh, suburbs and Americana and pop culture and puts them in this really um, critical lens. It's a movie about the average American family, you know, living in the suburbs, 2.5 children, white picket fence, dad's reading books about Ronald Mm -hmm. Reagan, kids have (laughs) Star Wars posters on the wall and introduces a horrific element, which is there are ghosts inside of the TV and the ghosts have taken one of the children and they have to get the child back um and it becomes this like absolute takedown of everything related to american culture and capitalism and colonialism and things like that uh that i was really taken aback by the first time i watched it i just rewatched it the other night i still think it is one of the best horror movies of the 1980s um it opens with the national anthem And it closes with an image that I don't want to spoil, but I think is very uh, thought-provoking. A, A on like a, that's a very dramatically rewarding image to end the movie on, but also like if you look into the background, there are more layers to it that are uh, troubling. Poltergeist is great. People should watch it if they have not. Another, in addition to Wicker Man, another good like old horror movies you should go back and watch if you can count the 1980s as old, which not really, but... Um, I also watched a movie from 2001 called Bones to switch gears entirely. Um, This is a movie by Ernest Dickerson, who is the cinematographer of Spike Lee's films, typically. Um, And the best way that I can describe it to you is that it is a vampire slash zombie movie starring Snoop Dogg. Um, and oh it, it is, it is about, yeah, it's about this, this group of like four young adults who buy this rickety old house in the projects or in, in the ghetto. And they, they want to, mm-hmm. they want to renovate it and turn it into like the hippest nightclub on their side of town. Uh, yeah. little do they know this house was once um, run by Snoop Dogg's organized crime unit in the 1970s. He died in a very horrific way, and his body is buried in the basement and comes alive when uh, his oh, space is being uh, infringed upon. Um, <sighs> it is a surprisingly, like, really beautiful-looking movie. Like, I, I am okay. taken aback by how um, good a lot of the special effects are, how... Um, beautiful and tactile a lot of the the lighting and the uh, uh, set design of the movie is uh, Snoop Dogg mm. is fantastic in it um, and at one point in the That's movie great. is literally a dog um, he, <laughs> he takes the form of a dog which is just a, a wonder to behold you just gotta you just gotta That's see it amazing. for yourself I do think that the movie goes into some very silly, scare territory at the end that i cannot vouch for but the first 75 percent of bones is a very well crafted b 
surprisingly meaningful in relation to like urban design and the legacy of racism and things like that. And C, uh, you get to watch Snoop Dogg be a horror movie villain, and it's amazing. It's amazing. So uh, I got that's watch on it. Amazon VOD if you want to watch amazing. it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. Oh, awesome, uh, Rosenberg. Go before you go, I've got one more movie to throw in real quick. Um, mm-hmm. Again, this this was on the the back of me finding that uh, aforementioned found flicks YouTube channel. I watched a movie called The Void, which okay. was insane. Um, and it's not really an easy movie to talk about because it is so just crazy. Okay. I think it's on Amazon On Demand. Let me double check real quick. But you can go ahead and start with yours, and I'll just chime in whenever I find it. Okay. Andrew, you do have do you have anything else? Uh, I'll cut it there. What do you got, Matt? Okay. Um, well, I've been watching a few things. Uh, Stranger Things 2, um, good. I watched the whole season. It's enjoyable. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I don't think I enjoyed Stranger Things as much, quite as much as everyone else did. Um, I still really enjoyed it, though. Um, it's intriguing enough. Um, obviously going to see Thor Ragnarok this week. I watched Bone Tomahawk this week. Yeah. Um, starring Patrick Wilson and um, uh, Matthew uh, Fox. Yeah, Matthew Fox and um, that other and guy. Ego the Living Planet. Uh, um, Kurt Russell. <laughs> um, not Kurt Russell. And the the scene stealing guy. Who's the old man in Bone Tomahawk? Yeah, it was Kurt Russell. No, no, no. The the old man. Um, it's. I'm looking him up. He's in Step Brothers. Um, <laughs> he's the dad in Step oh, Brothers. Oh, it's uh, uh, Richard Can't... Jenkins. He's the best yeah, actor yeah, 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 yeah. in Bone Tomahawk. Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. He's great. He's the comic relief in it in a, in like a horror western movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it's really gruesome, and it's it's. I think a lot of critics liked it because of its kind of realism. Um, but all the performances were fantastic. It, it was a really, really like harrowing kind of adventure. Um, and it's not like, like I watched the Magnificent Seven like two months ago and it's just the, the differences in those two movies could, could not be more far apart. Like, um, but, uh, but so yeah, I watched Bone Tomahawk. I really enjoyed that. Um, I've been watching The Strain finally. Oh, um, you freaking uh, better. One. Season one is really enjoyable. I've they been switched telling out that the show kid forever. actor. Yeah, Have you they watched did. any of the strain, Andrew? I uh, typically am not able to make time for TV, sadly, so I have not watched it. Fair enough. It's Guillermo del Toro. It's created by him. Right. Um, he's awesome. I love him. Yeah. And uh, it's really interesting. It's like uh, vampires from a kind of um from the perspective of a of a individual who works with the sinister disease control and they kind of deal with it it's the most realistic take i think on vampires where it's an infection and it's like a worm that takes over your, the host's body it's really really interesting um so i've been watching that on season two and i'm really enjoying that and obviously i'm seeing thor ragnarok this week and lastly i finally watched baby driver um well, you're and it was amazing it was amazing i'm going to buy it this week because i'm gonna watch it again it's so good oh man it was so good i enjoyed oh. baby driver quite a bit but i definitely felt like it was a step down from uh strong of the dead and hot fuzz i i maybe oh, i think i liked it i liked it more than world's end um but there's something to quote my friend zach dennis who runs cinematary there's something missing in Baby Driver, and I can't quite tell what it is. On one level, it might just be Simon Pegg, who is amazing in all of his other movies. Right. He's, um, yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> but also, the movie is so much playing with 
archetypes and playing this very traditional narrative of like, I thought I was out and they pulled me back in, all this stuff, that it doesn't have much of its own... I mean, it has its own spin on it with all the the musical references and the way that it deals with, you know, youth iPod culture and stuff like that. But it doesn't have its own narrative ideas to bring to the table necessarily. It it, it does not a very thoughtful movie in a way that I think that all of... um, uh, Oh, gosh, why am I blanking on his name right now? The director of Baby Driver. Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. It's not as thoughtful as I think his three previous films are. Uh, It is sort of a traditional con movie slash boy gets girl narrative that I wasn't I didn't walk away from it with any particular um, I don't know insight or anything like that maybe that's too much to expect of this movie but I did feel that way about Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz so I was a little let down that's fair enough but you're wrong because it's his best movie so Uh, I also love Worlds and I think it's the best of the Cornetto trilogy I think it's absolutely the best (laughs) that might be a stretch uh, (laughs) <laughs> well, I like them all, but anyway, haste, uh, haste. What you got? Give us, give us your last one, then we'll do the closing remarks. Oh, the movie I was talking about. Oh, actually, hold on. Adam texted me. Apparently, his iP- his iPod <laughs> been watching too much Baby Driver. His uh, his uh, MacBook died, but he said, uh, "Watch Stranger Things two and it both good, but not super noteworthy." He says so. Yeah, yeah I could see the enough. same for both. Okay. It is not good, in my opinion. It? It, yeah. Bad. Oh, really? Bad okay. I haven't seen I it. I wrote a really oh, long yeah. essay about it for Cinematary. I won't, go, I won't go into that rant, but if you want to read my ranty thoughts about it, go to Cinematary. You'll find it. <laughs> okay. All right. Haste, what was your last thing? All right. The last one I want to throw in real quick, uh, it's called The Void. It's from earlier this year. Um, it's about um, essentially a town where a cult starts up, and everything about the cult just gets crazier and crazier as the movie goes on. Um, my one complaint mm. is when you get to the end, uh, the cult really goes in a crazy direction. And it kind of has a Stranger Things note to the end of it. Actually, like the latter half is the same way. But um, okay. it's on Amazon Video. So, I mean, if you guys have it or can access it, I'd, I'd highly suggest it. It's, a, it's an interesting movie. And the, the twists are a little weird. But, I mean, it's it's great. Okay, cool. All right, well, guys, thanks so much, uh, Andrew. Let's uh, let's get get your plugs in real quick. All right, so my usual film happenings can be found on a website called Cinematary.com. That's C-I-N-E-M-A-T-A-R-Y, not the way that you might expect to spell it because we started with a typo and we just ran with it. So Cinematary is the <laughs> website. We have a podcast there. Um, we are now in the upper, like episode upper 160s right now. Um, been running since early 2014. Uh, we mm-hmm. we do a, a podcast every Friday. Mavericks. And we, we go through various series. So in October, we did a series of horror films, of course. Um, every summer, we do an annual series called Young Critics Watch Old Movies, where we watch movies from various decades, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and we just kind of work our way through the 20th century uh, watching various classics. We've done director series on people like Brian De Palma, Wong Kar Wai, 
Uh, we've done uh, actors. We, we did a whole series on uh, Keanu Reeves and another one on Kristen Stewart. If you're interested in those things, you can go find them. Nice. Um, the Cinematary website also has a bunch of writing on it. Uh, we do uh, film essays as well. I want to particularly recommend people go read a, you could read my essay on it if you want to find that. Um, but B, uh, my, my good friend Lydia has written an excellent essay about Blade Runner 2049 that talks about how bad that movie is. It's, you should go read then that. I won't read it. Um, you should read it and grapple <laughs> with ideas opinions. other than your own. Um, <laughs> and the last thing I'll say about Cinematary is that we also have a handful of video essays, which Matt has graciously mm-hmm. plugged a couple of times on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a video essay on what the School of Rock has to say about education. I am a, a teacher professionally, and so I, I bring a little bit of my perspective uh, there. Um, I did a video essay about the star power of Scarlett Johansson and how she has chosen her roles in very intentional ways to, to say something larger about femininity. Um, and then my friend Zach has an essay about a particular Beethoven piece that gets used a lot in cinema and the reason why that it is so commonly used. So go check out podcast writing video essays on Cinematary.com. We're also on Twitter, at Cinematary. I'm on Twitter, at Swaff Money, which is the nickname my students gave to me a couple years back, and that just <laughs> stuck. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for having me on Movie Fellows. I've been listening since the beginning, yeah, and I'm glad to actually be on a real episode that's actually going to go out to people. <laughs> Woohoo! We got it done, guys. Guys, well, you know, you can find us uh, on Movie Fellows, uh, Movie Fellows on Facebook uh, at Movie Fellows Pod on Twitter, Movie Fellows if you search it on YouTube, and we are on iTunes at Capital M and F Movie Fellows Podcast. Uh, guys, hit us up, shoot us at oh, also on Gmail at. Uh, moviefellaspod at gmail.com guys hit us up if you want to hear any topics um andrew thanks so much for being on this episode absolutely and uh hopefully we'll get you back sometime um but uh guys next next month we don't know what we're doing it'll probably be towards the end of november um maybe it will be uh movies we're thankful for or something (laughs) something along (laughs) those lines um but anyway guys thanks so much for listening and we will see you next time guys gladiate it up (laughs) love you